Father in heaven, we are, are so grateful that we can just come together and, Lord, to, to, to worship you and, and Lord, just to, to love you. And we know that you love us. And, Father, I pray that you would just be glorified in this place, in our lives, and all that we do and how we live, that, Lord, we would bring honor and glory to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I trust that through our time of worship that you have readied our hearts to receive your word. Lord, I decrease that you would increase, empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself, that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We praise in Jesus' name, all God's will said, amen. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, turn to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. We're now in part 31 of our series, Wisdom That Works. Say, Wisdom That Works. Come on, you got to be awake. Say, Wisdom That Works. Awesome, okay. Part 31. And um, as always, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text. It was all of chapter 29. I gave you seven points. You might remember these points. Just follow me here. Now, the first point was accept correction. Say that. Accept correction. That's in verse 1. And Solomon says, if you simply refuse to be corrected, stubbornly, stubbornly excuse me, refuse to listen, he says you will reap the consequences. The second point was wisdom and wickedness. Say that. And that's in verses 2 all the way through verse 11. And that uh, godly, wise, wise leadership in a community, in a nation, generally leads to good outcomes. But when the wicked rule, the community and the nation suffers because wicked rulers ignore godly wisdom. And then he says, an evil man is snared by his own sin, but a righteous, say righteous, a righteous one can sing and be glad. I love that. The third point was rulers and the poor. Say that. That's in verses 12 through 14. And Solomon says, when a leader tolerates deceit, liars will rise to power and eventually all of his advisors will be corrupt and the whole government will be evil. Then he says, if a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will always be secure. The fourth point was disciplining, not spoiling. Say that. Disciplining, not spoiling. Uh, verses 15 through 17. And it just says that disciplining children, what it does, it produces wisdom. Right? Wisdom. And the one who has not been disciplined uh, often brings shame to their parents. The fifth point was the value of God's word. Say that. The value of God's word, verses 18 through 19. And Solomon, what he does there, he observes that the absence of divine revelation, in other words, the absence of God's word, leads to moral and spiritual decline. And the sixth point was thoughtless speech. Say that. Thoughtless speech, verses 20 through 26. And that impulsive speech, what it does, it sets a person beyond the hope of even the normal fool. Then he says, uncontrolled tempers cause trouble. And no matter uh, what the situation, in other words, he's saying that their sin abounds. And he says, don't fear a man's opinions. In other words, what they say or what they think about you. Just trust God because you are safe with God. Amen? And the seventh point was the godly and the ungodly. Say that. And that's in verse 27. And Solomon, what he does there, he, he highlights the uh, fundamental conflict uh, between those who pursue uh, evil and those who pursue righteousness. This now brings us to today's text. The title of our message today is God's Flawless Word. Everyone say that. God's Flawless 
word. Seven points. If you're ready, say yes. Uh, number one, number one, here we go. Seven points. Number one is the writer. Say that. The writer. Verse one, it says that the sayings of Agar, uh, Agar, excuse me, Agar, son of Jaqeh, an oracle, this man declared to Ithiel and to Ithiel and to Ucal. So most commentators believe that back in chapter 25, you remember, might remember this, back in chapter 25, verse 1, when the men of Hezekiah gathered additional material uh, for Proverbs, that they added these words of Augur. Got it? Now, all that we know about this guy Augur is that uh, he was the son of Jaqeh, uh, and he uh, was writing to uh, Ithiel in Ucal, who were most likely his friends. Some even believe that he, uh, they were his students. They were his students. Now, now though we don't know uh, much about Augur, uh, we, we can glean from what he writes in this one chapter. And this chapter uh, offers simple yet profound observations about God, about life, and about the natural world. And we'll see that as we go through this chapter. Now, I want to point out something. Look at the text again. This man, Augur, declared to Ithiel, say declared, say declared again. So this man, Augur, declared to Ithiel, and to Ithiel, and to you call. The word declared there, what it does, it speaks of a prophetic word or a word of deep importance. It's used to speak of the revelation of God to prophets who give inspired words. If you got it, say got it. Verses 2 and 3. I am the most ignorant of men. The King James renders it like this. I am more stupid than any man. So he says, I am the most ignorant or stupid of any man. I do not have a man's understanding. Verse 3, I have not learned wisdom. In other words, friends, he didn't learn wisdom educationally, nor have, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. In modern terms, he didn't go to seminary. Got it? Listen. Augur wasn't stupid, okay? It's not like he didn't know anything. But his own knowledge seemed like nothing when he thought about God. You guys got that? You see, God's wisdom, say God's wisdom. God's wisdom is so amazing that Augur's own thoughts, own wisdom seemed foolish. And he recognizes the mystery of God. He recognizes the ways of God. And he's declaring his own limitations when it comes to understanding and wisdom. And I love Augur's. I love his humility. I love that about him. So here we have the writer, Augur. Say Augur. And number two, point number two is God's wonders. Say that. The writer, number two, is God's wonders. And we'll look at verse four. In verse four, he writes this, who has gone up to the heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? And he says this, what is his name and the name of his son? I love that. Tell me if you know. So, so these questions, listen now, these questions are intended to magnify the majesty of God in a prophetic, say prophetic, prophetic picture of Jesus. Amen? So this is talking about God and talking about Jesus. Now let's go back to the text again. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Well, this is a prophetic picture of the incarnation, right? This is speaking of who? Jesus Christ. 
Then he says, who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands. Well, this is a picture of his omnipotence. Even the winds obey him. Then he says, who has wrapped up the water in a cloak. Well, guess what? Even the waves obey him. Who has established all the ends of the earth. Well, it's Jesus. Say Jesus. In fact, if you read Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, it states that, that Jesus created all things. Are you guys with me? Then he says, what is his name? Love this. What is his name and the name of his son? Tell me if you know. Well, I know it. Do you know it? What's his name? Jesus. His name is Jesus, the only name by which we are, are saved. And Augur, Augur knew that there was something special about the Son of God. Now, we don't, we don't know to, to what extent, extent he prophetically anticipated the Messiah, God, the Son, Jesus Christ, but he knew that God had a Son and that his Son had a name. Isn't that awesome? Number three is God's Word. Say that. The writer, God's wonders, and God's word. We'll spend some time here. In Augur, verse 5, he says, Every word of God is flawless. The King James renders it as pure. Say pure. Don't you love that? I mean, think about that. Verse 5. I mean, that's an amazing verse. Every word of God is flawless. The King James, again, pure. This is a declaration of the infallibility of God's word. God's word, listen now, God's word is tested, say tested, and found to be pure, found to be true, found to be proved, say proved. 100%, 100%, pure. His word is the fountain of all truth, the fountain of all wisdom. It's, It's our lifeline, right? I mean, his word is our lifeline. Every word, the full counsel of God is flawless. Don't you love that? I want you to write these scriptures down. Uh, Psalm uh, chapter 18, verse 30. Write that down. Psalm 18, verse 30. Psalm 18, verse 30. And the psalmist writes this, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word, say the Lord's word, is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Now write this down, Psalm 119, chapter 119, verse 140. Psalm 119, verse 140. And by the way, uh, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it speaks about the word. Say the word. And the psalmist writes this, Your promises have been made have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Did you get that? Your promises, your word, your statutes, your precepts have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Don't you love them? Don't you love the word? Now, now his word is not only flawless, uh, pure, true, proved, but also trustworthy. Let, let's go ahead and read on the text here. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't you love that? Augur explained that God is a shield. And the sense is that God gives his pure word to protect his people if they will use the wisdom and encouragement of his word to put their trust in him. God is a shield, say shield, to those who run to him and run to his word. Got it? 
I love that. Notice what he says in verse 6. Stay with me now. Do not add. Do not what? To his word, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. I love this. I, I, I love this. This is direct, and this is powerful. God's word is God's word. Say that. God's word is God's word and doesn't need any improvement or addition to it or subtraction from it. Got it? Now write this down. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22, verses 18 through 19. Revelation 22, 18 through 19. says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. So there is a high price, a high price to pay for tampering with the book of Revelation specifically and also the scriptures in general. Got it? So here's the lesson. Ready for the lesson? Don't tamper with God's word. Don't mess with it. Don't tamper with God's word. Don't add to it. He just said that right in the text. Don't add to it. And we see this Mormons and, and Jehovah's Witnesses and Christian science, they add to the Bible. How about the gay Bible? There's, they have a Queen James Version published in 2012. No joke. Look it up. And what they do, they rewrote eight verses, eight verses that speak against homosexual practices. And people do this, listen now, to fit their narrative and do this to fit their lifestyle. You guys with me? Listen, that is culture. That's culture over Christ. That's feelings over truth. So don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. And we see this all the time. Many people are guilty of picking and choosing what they want from God's word. Don't we see that? Listen, they, they, they may not add to the Bible, but they are guilty of subtracting from its words. Others who are guilty of diluting the word of God, they deny its truth. They water down its doctrines and they, they ignore its warnings. You know what that is? That's methodology, methodology over theology. And then also you have some pastors, not all, but some pastors today on the pulpits of America who will not preach the truth of God, God's word, because they don't want to offend the congregation. And I want to tell you, friends, I would rather offend you by preaching the truth than offend God by diluting and changing the truth. This is God's word. Got it? And we exegesis his word. Exegesis means that you draw from the text. You're, you're drawing from what the word of God's saying. Not eisegesis. Eisegesis is adding what you want to add to the text. Not narcissus. Narcissus is making the text all about you. So what we do here is we exegesis. 
we draw from the text what it's saying, not adding to it. Amen? Or subtracting from it. Point number four, Augur's prayer. Say that. Augur's prayer. And I love his sincere, wise, humble prayer. This is a pretty awesome portion of Scripture, verses 7 through verse 8a. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Notice he wanted to receive these two things on this side of eternity. The first request, stay with me now, verse 8a, keep falsehood and lies from me. Man, is that amazing? Huh? Talk about living right. I mean, Augur, listen, Augur's like, I want to have integrity, God. God, I want to live as an honest man. I desire to have a pure heart. He wanted to be a man marked by integrity, marked by truth. He didn't want any lies or falsehood or deception to be anywhere near his heart. Man, I love that. Don't you love that? And what this totally does, it reminds me and describes what David said in Psalm 51, verse 10. And there in 51, Psalm 51, verse 10, David writes, Create in me a pure heart, O Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't you love that? So the first request is keep falsehood and lies from me. I want to have a pure heart. The second request, verses 8b to verse 9, this is what he says. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Say daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? So he doesn't want to have so much that he turns away from God. And what he says he's saying is, if I have too much, I will cease trusting you for my daily bread, God. So don't let me have too much that I forget about you and depend on my own bank account. You see, riches and wealth can make us self-reliant and self-sufficient. You have riches, then you depend on the riches, and then you're secure in the riches, and then what? You live for the riches. Not a good thing. And he says this, or I may become poor and still, and so dishonor the name of my God. He doesn't want to have so little that he steals or does something stupid. You guys with me? In other words, if I have little, I might steal and profane your name, God. I might dishonor your name. Keep me in the place that I'm able to remain dependent on you. Augur wanted to be satisfied. He wanted to be content with God's provision in his life. So you guys ready for the lesson? And I love this. Here we go. Daily bread. Say that. Daily bread. Daily bread. I want you to write this down, Matthew 6, 11. There in Matthew 6, Jesus lays out the Lord's prayer, a pattern of how to pray, right? Our Father who art, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Got, got it? Daily bread. Daily bread, okay? Not daily steak, shake, or cake. Daily bread. Give me what I need, Lord. Right? Your provision for my life. How many times have we 
you know, try to get wealthy and rich. Nothing wrong with that, but what's the motivation? He will supply our needs. Trust him. Amen? That we might have this prayer as Augur did, Augur did, friends, the fact that, you know what, Lord, I, I want to be able to have a pure heart. And I want to be able to live with contentment knowing that you're my provider. Amen? I don't want to forget you, and I don't want to do something that's stupid that will profane your name. Now look at verse 10, because verse 10, this is an isolated verse. It says, do not slander a servant to his master, or he will curse you, and you will pay for it. This has to do with, listen now, this has to do with harsh, harmful hostile, unfair criticism spoken to another about a third party not present. And the point is this, is that interference in another's affairs may backfire. Huh? In other words, he's saying this, mind your own business. Got it? If you mind your own business, you will stay out of trouble. And if you don't mind your own business, you'll pay for it. Got it? So the writer, the wonders, God, God's wonders, God's word, uh, Augur's prayer. And number five is, here we go, sinful generations. Write that down, sinful generations. And you'll notice as we go through these passages here, the characteristics noted here are similar to those living in the last days. And we see this today. Just follow me here. Here we go, verses 11 through 14. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Don't we see that today? The disrespect, right? Honoring our parents includes refraining from language that might lessen our parents in the eyes of others or of treating them with harmful language or harmful behavior. An evil generation, say evil generation, does not love nor honor their parents. And gosh, we see that today. The disrespect that kids have towards their parents. I'm blown away. Blown away. Man, if I talk to my mom and dad that way, whoo, I get a spanking and my mom would throw the chunkle and hit me in the head. Right? Yep. Verse 12, verse 12. Those who are pure in their own eyes and yet not cleansed of their filth. Gosh, this describes our generation today. There are people who think themselves morally pure. Oh, we're pure, we're pure, yet remain in a state of sin. They are blind to their own sin. 13. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. There are prideful, there are arrogant people who treat others with contempt. And the generation that walks in pride, the generation that's haughty, the generation that is prideful will experience God's resistance. Why? Why? Because God, listen, resists the proud. God wants nothing with the proud. And we see a prideful generation today, haughty, all about them, right? 14, verse 14. Those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind. He's saying this, people who oppress and exploit the poor, people who hire day laborers, 
day laborers and then refused to pay him or pay them. So we see that today, don't we? I mean, it describes our generation today. This was written thousands of years ago. Number six, here we go, number six, point number six. Numerical sayings, or we could say numerical proverbs. Numerical sayings or numerical proverbs. And here you'll notice that Augur points out certain things here. And here he points out, first of all, Augur points out four things that are never satisfied. Notice, four things that are never satisfied. Follow me now, verses 15 through 16. He opens up by saying, The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. Give. In other words, give me, give me, they cry. Now, we know that, that a leech is a blood-sucking worm, right? And the fact is, it attaches itself to you and sucks up, listen now, sucks up to three times, three times its own weight in blood before it's finished feeding. It seems to have no function except to devour. And so this is a picture, a picture of the things that are never satisfied. So let's read on. There are three things, listen, Augur says, there are three things, three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. Verse 16, the grave. Say the grave. Because we know the grave is never full. Right? I mean, you just drive to any cemetery. Right? People are always being what? Buried. The grave is never full. There's always room for more people to die. By the way, 10 out of 10 people die. Okay? 10 out of 10 people die. Got it? Then he says, the barren woman, or the barren womb. Say barren womb. So we know that in ancient culture, a woman got her sense of worth from bearing children. Now, listen, God made, designed women, women, women to have children. Amen? That's God's design. Now, there are some women who cannot have children. And if you cannot have children, guess what? You can adopt a child. In fact, if you, if you go in the living room there by our information center, uh, there's an organization, ministry called Foster the Bay. And if you are interested in adopting a child, get a pamphlet there and follow through with that. Amen? Amen? Then he says land, say land, which is never satisfied with water. In other words, it keeps taking more and more water. Your, your lawn, your lawn never says you never have to water me again. Right? Then he says, and fire, say fire, which never says enough. Fire wants to be fed. It never puts itself out. It, it will burn as long as there's fuel to burn. You see, these are examples of things that never seem to say enough. Never satisfied. Never seem to be satisfied. It's all about the need for more. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Listen, you will never get enough from somebody. You only get enough from someone, and that's Jesus. Amen? He's the only one who will meet your needs. He's the only one who will see you through. He's the only one who will sustain you and satisfy you, satisfy your soul like no one else ever can or ever will. Right? So base your life, your foundation on Jesus. 
And there you know that you find contentment. And with him you have enough. Enough. Verse 17. And this is another isolated verse. The eye that mocks a father that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. (laughs) This verse ought to be put on every bedroom door of every junior higher and high schooler. Augur used a vivid poetic description to tell of the ruin waiting for the child who mocks and scorns and disrespects their parents. Disrespect warrants the most severe punishment. That's the bottom line. So don't disrespect your parents. Notice Augur points out four amazing things. First of all, he points out things that are never satisfied. Now notice four amazing things, verses 18 through 19. And he says this, he says this, there are three things, verse 18, that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. So Augur reminds us that there are things that are too amazing, too, too wonderful for our complete understanding. Look at verse 19. The way of an eagle in the sky. You guys get that? This is the flight of a majestic eagle, and the way that he flies, the eagle flies, amazes us. Have you ever seen an eagle fly? Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Too wonderful for our complete understanding, right, friends? It's, 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 it, you look at the, the eagle as it flies with its power and its height, and not only that, but its grace. It flies gracefully. He says, the way of an eagle in the sky blows your mind. And he says, the way of a snake on a rock. Because a snake can go up steep inclines of, 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 of slick, smooth rocks. They can also, they can slither itself over hard rocks, right? Hard rocks, sharp rocks without injury. Blows you away how they just move like that. No feet, right? They're just moving. It just blows your mind. He says, the way of a ship on the high seas. You know what blows you away? You can throw a penny in the sea and it sinks immediately. Right? But you put a huge cruise ship out on the sea and it floats. I know it's all about design and all that, but it just blows you away. You can throw a penny and it sinks. You see this huge ship or aircrafts, what? And they float. It should blow your mind. Then he says this, and the wave of man with the maiden. He's talking about people falling in love. He's blown away as he sees people falling in love. Man, it blows me away as I see a man and a woman fall in love. You ever see a couple and say, man, how how did she get him? How did, whoo, how how could she love him? This is what he's saying here. Okay? Got it? Let's move on. Verse 20. This is another isolated verse. This is the way of an adulteress, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. The adulterous woman doesn't see, listen now, what's wrong with what she's doing. And her adultery has become as natural to her as eating. That's the point there. It's a tasteful reference 
to her sin of adultery. In other words, she has no shame. She has no remorse over her actions. And this is the way our society is going today. Right? Well, you see people committing adultery, people fornicating, no big deal. No big deal. It's normal nowadays. There's no remorse. There's no conviction. It's like just eating, as natural as eating dinner, breakfast, or whatever you might have. I also want to point out this also applies to an adulterous man. Okay? Got it? Now notice, Augur points out four things the earth finds unbearable. Four unbearable types of people. Verses 21 through 23. Four things the earth finds unbearable. Verse 21. Under three things the earth trembles. Under four, say four, it cannot bear up. Again, four unbearable types of people. And he says this, verse 22. A servant who becomes king. A servant who becomes king. This is someone who should be a servant and stay a servant, but is put in charge of a company or a country. Right? This person is beyond their giftedness. In other words, they're not qualified for that position. They should stay a servant. That's not a good thing, right? They're, they should be a servant, but yet they're in charge of other people as far as a country or a company beyond their giftings. They should stay a servant. Then he says this, a fool who is full of food. Hey, you give a fool a lot of food, okay? You fill up his belly, you're asking for trouble. That's what he's saying. It's not a good thing. Verse 23, an unloved woman who is married. Another version renders it like this, a hateful woman when she is married. What he's talking about here is a woman, one who is bitter, one who is quarrelsome, one who is mean, one who is unlovable, one who is unbearable. That's what he's talking about. In other words, he's saying this, don't let a woman like that get married. You guys with me? Then he says this, and a maidservant who displaces her mistress. He's saying this. This is when a girlfriend replaces a faithful wife. Ah. These things, just not right. That's his point. Not right. Say not right. Then, Augur points out four things, four but four things small, small but wise. Now, I love this portion here. Four things small, but wise, verses 24 through 28, stay with me now. Four things on earth are small, he says, yet they are extremely wise. Say wise. So Augur looked at the world of animals here, and I love that, how he, did, how he does this. And these four examples teach a principle of wisdom. Say wisdom. Verse 25, stay with me now. We talked about these ants before, right? Ants, not your thea. Okay, the little bug. Okay, got it? Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. So their wisdom is shown, right, in that they prepare for their future needs. They're preparing for the winter. They're ready for the next stage, the next season. Uh, they're not lazy. They're not procrastinators. They're hard workers. But they have the wisdom to prepare for the future. Amen? And he says, conies. Okay, verse 26, conies, that could also be referred to rock badgers. I'll explain what those are. Okay, are creatures of little power, 
yet they make their home, because of their wisdom, their home in the crags or slash rocks. A coney, a, a rock badger, is a small creature about a foot long. It's about a foot long that looks something like between a rabbit and a hamster. And you see a lot of these in Israel, okay? And they can climb up rocks, but they're, they're pretty defenseless, okay? They can't defend themselves, except that they know where to make, love this, they're defenseless, but except that they know, because of their wisdom, where to make their home in a safe place. So they hide themselves in the rocks. Got it? Now, if you're safe, say amen. We're sheep. Okay? We're not conies or rock badges. We're sheep. And we're defenseless as sheep. Right? But we hide ourselves in the rock of ages. Are you guys with me? We hide ourselves in Jesus. He is our hiding place. He is our strong tower. He is the rock of our salvation. Got it? Then verse 27. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. So locusts don't have any kind of appointed leadership or structure, yet they have the wisdom, say wisdom, to advance in ranks, overwhelming anything that's in their way. I love this. Listen, they, they work together. They're organized. They cooperate with one another. They move in the same direction. They move in unity. If you ever see a, a, a swarm of locusts, they're, they're all just moving in the same direction, unified. Do you guys know that? Unified. Amen? Love that. Now, they don't have a leader or a king, but we have a king. Uh, we, we have a leader. If you're safe, say amen. We have a king. We have a leader. His name's Jesus. Therefore, we should move in unity. We should work together. We should move in the same direction for his glory to advance his kingdom. Right? We are stronger together. Then he says, verse 28. Verse 28. Look at verse 28. A lizard, your Bibles might render it as gecko or spider, can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. In other words, they're, they're tiny, but they make their way into the throne room of the king. You guys get that? And what an amazing example for us. If you think about that, right, friends, we might feel like we're okay, bothering God, but he says, come boldly into the throne room. I should have said bugging, right? But, <laughs> right? Listen, wise is the believer. And please get this. Wise is a believer who might seem small and insignificant in the eyes of others, but who knows a secret. I can go boldly into the throne room of God and receive mercy and find grace to help me in my time of need. Amen? So, so thinking about four small, small, four things, small but wise, here's a lesson. Ready? You don't have to be big to be effective. Amen? You don't have to be big to be effective. If you're safe, say amen. You don't have to be big to set an example. You don't have to be big or powerful to make an impact. Listen, find out, find out what you're good at 
and find out how God has gifted you and how God has equipped you, right? And then just do it. Bloom where you're planted and grow where you're gifted. And be yourself. Be yourself and do what God has called you to do. Just keep on doing it day in and day out and pray. Say pray that he, God, would give you the grace and strength to keep on doing it. Keep on doing what he's called you to do and to keep you, listen now, and to keep you from making excuses for not doing what he's called you to do. Amen? So we might seem small and insignificant to those in the world, but guess what? We can go into the throne room, right? God, grace, not only that, we can make an impact for his kingdom. So find out how he's gifted you. Find out how he's, how he's designed you, right? He, right? And, and how he's equipped you to do something and just do it. Then Augur gives us four impressive, mighty things. Four impressive, mighty things. Look at verses 29 through 31. Four impressive, mighty things. Verses 29 through 31. There are three things that are stately in their stride. In other words, they got it going on. We would say that. They got it going on. Four that move with stately bearing. Verse 30. A lion, say lion, mighty among beasts, who retreats before nothing. And we know that a lion has respect from all other animals, right? And he moves, the lion moves swiftly and never retreats. He's the king of the jungle. Lion, impressive, mighty, moves swiftly, never retreats, king of the jungle. Verse 31, he says this, a strutting rooster, uh, that should be greyhound. 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 You ever see the speed and grace of a greyhound? Fast. Fast move, right? Graceful. Then he says this, a he-goat, also maybe a mountain goat, and how they climb to the top, how that, that he-goat or mountain goat ascends to high places. You ever see them? They walk on like almost non-existing ledges as they go up a steep, steep mountain. Then he says, and a king with his army around him. The King James renders it like this. And I like this, I like this, um, this interpretation and uh, translation. And a king against whom there is no rising up. I'm going to say it again. And a king against whom there is no rising up. In other words, there's no overthrowing the king. So follow me here. Four things, these four things point to who? Jesus. Stay with me. Follow me. The lion. Say the lion. He roars with authority. No one can stop him. Jesus is the lion of Judah. Amen? The greyhound. Jesus moves swiftly wherever he can go. He can go anywhere he wants to go swiftly. The he-goat. Jesus ascends to high places. Amen? And the king, say the king, he's the king of king, 
and Lord of Lords. And we know that at the very end of age, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is in fact Lord. Amen? Four things point to Jesus. Point number seven, I'll let you go, is self-restraint. Say that. Self-restraint. Verses 32 to 33. If you have played the fool and exalt yourself, or if you have planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. Verse 33. For as churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, So stirring up anger produces strife. This is what he's saying. We're going to close right here, real quick here. If you have been, listen, if you have been blowing your own horn, tooting your own horn too much, or planning evil against someone, Augur says, put your hand on your mouth and keep quiet. Got it? And he says, if you don't, if you don't, you will get bad results. Bad results as when milk goes sour, you know how that is, right? And as the nose bleeds from too much pressure on it. Self-restraint. Control ourselves. Amen? So there's a lot of things we can glean on from Augur's Proverbs. Again, we don't know much about him. This is Everything we know about him here is what we know about him here. He's never mentioned in the Bible ever again. But there are things here that we can take to heart and apply it to our lives. Let me ask you, what what is God and how has God through his word impacted you through his word today? What has he said in his word that has pierced your heart? That has perhaps convicted you, perhaps encouraged you? But the bottom line is this, and the focus is on the one thing I want to focus on as we close here, is his word is flawless. And we have his word. This is our foundation. Right? This is our shield. We put our hope in him and we trust his word. And this word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this word will never change, but it does change us. Amen? So remember that. Don't add to it or subtract from it. His word is his word. Amen? Let's all stand. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.